I was wondering if you would sing me a Bare Naked Ladies song, if you would sing that million dollar song. Why? <laughs> because people want to hear it. No, people don't want to oh, hear it. Oh, everyone's writing in saying, can you get Alex to sing? Nobody's and writing in. There's everyone. no live writing in. I can see your <laughs> computer numbers, screen now. I can see now. the numbers right now. And it's, uh, uh, people are, oh, here, look at this email. Um, get Alex to sing If I Had a Million Dollars by BNL. So are you going to let people down on my podcast? Seriously? I don't remember the words. If I had a million, if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, I'd buy you a couch. No, I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say couch too. Ooh, ah, ah, this is my podcast. Ooh, ah, ah, listen here, I'll make you laugh. Ooh, ah, ah. <laughs> Honestly, let's just cut it off there. And also, on the other hand, you have when people write songs like, you know, about a pillow and make the world think it is about a really nice person or vice versa. Um, You also hear a lot of people putting in lyrics about straight up, like, I need a drink to feel right. Or like, I feel so low from living so high. Or like in the hip hop world, you hear a lot of like, roll one up, you know, or like sipping on that henny. (laughs) Do you see a lot of artists using drugs or booze to actually write the songs in the studio totally what really okay Tell me Ab- there's <laughs> it's it's a very mixed this is an interesting point you bring up or an interesting thing you bring up because on one side of the spectrum there are artists that actually there's a few different aspects to the <laughs> spectrum <laughs> but in one section you have the artists that use stuff like drink a lot of Hennessy or whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be, smoke a lot of pot, whatever it is. And they talk about it in their songs. Then you have the people who do a lot of it, but don't talk about it at all. But they use it to write. But they use it to write. Okay. Then you have the people that write about it who don't actually use it. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that one. It's so... I'll start there because it's a shorter thing, but I, I did work with an artist and I'm not going to say any names, but they were on the big successful artist. They were on the ramp up, like coming into some very good tours, big fame okay, and a few massive hits and under their belt, they came in and they had their like crew there. It was like some security guards, manager, whatever people with them. And, um, the the way that the studio is is there's the control room where they're working in the in the the booth where they sing and then there's the lounge and this artist would not let alcohol or drugs anything into the control room where he was working awesome any of the people who were there were welcome to go and sit in the lounge and drink and do whatever they wanted they would have to be coherent enough to get back on the bus when this was done okay. but he didn't want it around him when he was working and um, then even like they didn't like fizzy pop even like it was very, it was a very, they were, what do you, I don't understand what you're trying to say. They were, they <laughs> not were even just, fizzy pop in the control booth or what it, do you mean? It was, they were, they were a very healthy person. Oh, okay. They okay. were very, like, oh, okay. I had to go get like apple juice. Okay. Because they, they didn't want anything yeah, it they was don't want very the ship in their body. But yet they had a a, a suitcase 
<laughs> that was just full of like shoes, beautiful like Air Jordans and like the nicest like shoes known to man. So listen, this you could bring your Air Jordans, but you couldn't bring the Henny. Yes, but in the songs they were talking like they were out on the street. They were drinking. They were doing drugs. They were doing. And it was the nicest person and like they, you know, FaceTimed their kids while they were there. That's amazing. So nice. And yet then they go into the booth and and it's like, that's the same person? Really? Singing about asses and titties. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Like very, but it's a very, it's an example of, I'm not sure if it's they're like, they're living out their fantasy or some kind of thing in their head, or they're they're twisting the way that like their their outlet into something that they know the public will like because true. people oh, true. like that. Oh, so yeah. the way that they think about it in their head is different from the words that are coming out. Once again, it's a metaphor for them, mm. which is totally fine. They're getting their thing out. Totally hardworking person. Like it was it was awesome, but. Um, then you have, you know, the other, the other side of spectrum and where, where I think your question kind of started is people that use it to just be creative. Like use the booze or use the, drugs. the booze to be creative and not necessarily talk about it, but that, the, and this is where it's interesting. This is, uh, uh, kind of what we talked about before is they're chasing that high, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so what they end up thinking is that if they write a good song, well, under the influence of something, they think that's the only way they're going to write a good song again. And so they kind of chase that down or they think that that's their creative golden ticket. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, it just kind of ends up slowly destroying them. Oh, 100%. You know what I mean? Like, well, also, I want to let you guys know that um, when I would write originally poems, because it all started, my writing started out with poetry and then got into songs. I used to think the exact same thing. Like I would like get shit faced because then I would get into this nasty, nasty headspace. And then the next day I would reread what I wrote and I was like, oh my God, this shit is beautiful. And I used to think that like I had to be in that nasty space and the booze was a tool. But then Alex and I, like who we are talking with right now, Alex and I had a conversation and he said, you know, well, what are you going to do if the booze isn't there? Just not be a good writer. Are you just like, if you, you're just not going to, what, I forget the exact words that we had. It was like, um, I, when my dad interviewed me, I compared it to like, you, like, uh, using steroids and competing in the Olympics, Mm -hmm. but it was like, um, if I'm not the tool, then I don't feel like, uh, then I'm not a writer to me. Mm -hmm. No, I think I'll, I can interrupt you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think you have a, a really interesting thing. What you're saying is is very true because when you think of artists that start out, they don't necessarily, they're not super addicted to anything. They're not super into whatever they're doing. It's as they go, they think that, oh, that was good. I need to continue that. This is a, is a common theme. And what ends up happening is that they think that's how they get into that nasty headspace because as we talked about, it's an outlet. Mm-hmm. So if you, the first, a lot of, a lot of bands actually, or a lot of artists, their first record's their best record because they have 10 years to write it. Then they get picked up because it's big and it's good. 
and then they have a year to write the second record. Well, they have to get into that deep, dark place that they've kind of slowly dipped into for the last 10 years. Whenever something happened, their mom was mad at them. They got broke, you know, they, or someone passed away over, someone those passed 10 away years. over 10 years. They got in a breakup with somebody they've been dating for three years. Well, you have to have been dating somebody for five years to have that heartbreak, heartbreak of a five year relationship. Well, how do you get into that dark of a place without that happening? Because you have 12 months now, you don't have three years to get into a relationship and break up and, and on command. You can't do that. Well, how do you do it? Well, let me drink myself into a stupor because I get angry when I do that. And then, oh, then I have ideas suddenly. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But so people start to think that that's the only way they can do it because it happens once or twice and they realize, oh my gosh. When also in reality, those nasty places or thoughts or feelings, they exist. 100%. They're already there. The booze just makes them come out quicker. You don't need the breakup or, you know, the the death. They're in there. You just need, if you just sit down and feel um, uncomfortable with yourself and think about that shit, 100% those emotions will come up and you'll be able to write something. Totally. And and, uh, this is, it's an interesting uh, thing and, and a very... I think a very inspiring story. Um, and it's a, an artist that I absolutely love and like influenced a lot of my writing growing up. And that is Derek Wibley from some 41. I love him. Absolutely amazing. And, um, he is, he was known, he just, he was an alcoholic for years as some 41 was growing. He's very open about this. And he wasn't the kind of guy that would drink and be just completely trashed. Oh, okay. He was one of those guys that just always had a drink and was always buzzed and like always quite drunk, <laughs> but always drinking. And you wouldn't really know that like, he's not the guy that's walking around falling over, but he was quite in, intoxicated. And he went through a lot of stuff, wrote a lot of records like that, whatever. And, uh, recently, well, a few years ago now, but recently in their history, um, he collapsed, had to go to the hospital, had a, a kidney failure and a whatever failure, like a bunch of stuff. He was in the hospital for months and the doctors told him, if you have another drink, you will die. Like your, your liver wow. doesn't work anymore. Your whatever, like nothing, it just doesn't work anymore. You've completely destroyed it. And so he had to go through this really, really hard time and he's had a lot of Didn't success. Did he have to learn how to walk again? Yes. He had to learn how to walk again. He had to learn how to play guitar again. Oh, he had wow. to learn how to sing again. He was worried about the fact that he wouldn't be able to play a show again because he couldn't walk down the hallway, let alone run around on stage while singing and playing guitar, which he also had to relearn how to play the guitar because his fingers didn't, because he had, oh my God. because of, not because of the drinking, but because he had been laying in a hospital bed for months the muscles. Everything was gone from that. Muscle atrophy. Exactly. So he had to, he went through a really, really hard time um, recovering, but he was like, he knew that that's what he needed to do because he got that adrenaline and that from playing shows and connecting with the crowd. And like, he loved that feeling. So he was like, I need that. If I got nothing else, I need that. Mm-hmm. So he worked and he like very, very hardworking guy, very dedicated. I know a bunch of people who've worked with him and, um, 
if Derek ever listens to this, I would love to engineer one of your records. <laughs> <laughs> You'd crush that too. He has an SSL console in his, in his uh, house now. And I'm like, I know how to run that exact console. Let me in. Call me up. Get Call me, me up. over there. Um, but anyway, he went through this really, really hard time. And he was really worried, and he had an interview about this, and uh, he was really worried when he went to try and start writing again, because he had gone through a lot of stuff, but now this was the first record he was writing sober in years, in years. So he literally had to relearn how to walk, relearn how to use his body, relearn how to play the instruments that he used to love, and now he has to relearn how to write how how in to, his head like in his head how to write songs again oh my gosh being in a different state because he had never done it like he'd, he'd always done it when he had booze mm-hmm. like it was just always booze mm-hmm. and um and so he had to try and figure that out and that was part of like and this is after like this was following up pieces hell song still waiting huge massive hits, hits. And he had to figure out how to, like, in his brain, he battled with this as to, can I do it? Am I, is it going to be any good? What am I going to do? And I haven't played a show in six years because of the fact that I haven't been able to walk. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like a big, big, big turning point. And anyway, he did it. He wrote and he said he started to write and it just kind of came out because once again, those thoughts are there. Those oh, yeah, the feelings, feelings still, are there. Yeah, they still exist. So he didn't have to try and coax them out because they were there and they were very fresh because he had just been through this. And um, so he did it. He wrote a record and people claim and like a lot of fans and a lot of critics think that that was actually one of the best Sum 41 records so far. Amazing. And which is great validation for him. But he had to... Besides that, besides the pressure of following up huge records, he also in his head had to follow up the pressure internally in his own mental state of the fact that I can do this. And it's very, very interesting because, um, because that is so, so valid in today's, in music, people think they need that stuff to do that. And he proved to himself that he didn't need it. And now he's like the last record that just came out, another phenomenal record, still sober, still doing this. And like, and he's killing it and he's killing it. And to be honest, he actually part of the, another thing that is kind of helped, I think is he, and this is what I think a lot of really successful bands who just continue to be successful. What they do is they, they kind of, get numb to it in a way and they kind of don't care. It's, it's their own internal pressures, which are a heck of a lot easier to deal with. They stop thinking about the charts. They stop thinking about the, 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 the outside pressures, right? Because now he's got a wife, very happy. They just got had a, a kid too, just had they? a kid. They're the cutest thing to look at. Oh my God. Oh, I know. oh my Instagram. God. She is the, like She's touring so around beautiful tours around is like the biggest fan, always like side stage, like, you know, she's just right there with him. She was supported him through this whole thing. And I'm sure there were some dark days because his life oh, was flipped upside down. Oh, yeah. But she supported everything he did. And so, you know, that he, he now has those priorities and like he had just thinks about things differently. And so now he's not doesn't have those pressures and he's coming out with a phenomenal music. And continues to be successful. Maybe it's not the biggest record they've ever done. Maybe it's not selling the b- millions and millions of copies pieces ever did 
or something like that. But it's level and staying consistently amazing for his fans and for himself. And he's doing what he wants. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really good place to be. And like, there's some other bands like that, that, um, that I love and uh, another kind of band like that. And and it kind of goes with the mental state and how you don't need to have stimulants <laughs> to do things is, um, I've worked with, I mean, Bear I Ingley. do because I have ADHD. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> that's a different kind. Um, another band that I've worked with a lot is bare naked ladies and Ed. They're Canadian. By they're the way. Canadian. Just brilliant. Chickity China, the Chinese chicken, chicken. had a drumstick and your brain starts sticking. That, the, Yes. What's the COVID version of that one? The COVID one was Chickity China, the Chinese chicken. Had some bat soup and the world stopped ticking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyway, they, Ed doesn't drink. Never has. Has no interest. Best host in the world at his like house. If you're there, you, he has beer. It's not that he's against it. He just has no interest, doesn't care. Nice. And he's written some of the biggest songs out there, like a million dollars. If I had a million dollars one week, like those songs are huge. Wow. Will you sing one for me quick? No. Oh. I'm not the singer. Uh, <laughs> if you guys could see my face right now, I'm appalled. That was a good one. Um, but... You they, sang on my record, Alex. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was hoping you, I was hoping to get past that before you thought of that one. Um, anyway, they they are a band like he is one of the hardest working people. Never had that influence. Never needed it. Doesn't care. They have massive hits. They went through a huge problem with the like they didn't break up, but they lost one of their members when Stephen Page left. Huge turning point for the band. They were kind of going, oh my God. They had a lot of flack from a lot of fans going, this is terrible ever since Steven left. Like it was, it's, and it's still kind of dealing with it to this day. Um, And anyway, but they, but they don't care in, in a certain sense. I mean, I'm sure they do, but. I mean, yeah, of course. But but they love what they do. They make the music for themselves. They come into the studio and work hard and enjoy being in each other's company, enjoy writing, enjoy making music, enjoy hanging out with their four buddies. And they can, they're still, they tour every year. They do, they have fantastic lives. They all have kids. They all do things like, you know, they have different priorities. They don't care about having the next number one for six weeks in a row. They don't care about that. They want to still have their career. They want to make the music they love. So they're focused on themselves, but they're focused on themselves and their core fans really like, are they going to like this? Great. Well then we'll make it. If we're happy and they're going to be happy, everybody wins. Everybody wins. I don't, we don't need to make the next. And I mean, yeah. Okay. Sure. You could, you know, say, well, yeah, they've had success. So of course they don't care. They're already, yeah, fine. But they're happy. The point is that they're just happy and they don't. And they never had, he never touched the booze. Nope. Never relied on it. Never nothing. And it just proves that them, you know, Derek, Now, like these people, there are people like that. And this is the stuff we're going back to the very beginning. These are the people you don't hear about the fact that they're not doing these things. They're just successful. That's all you hear about. You'll never hear uh, or read a headline that says, uh, breaking news, 
turns out that bare naked ladies are, in fact, all sober. No. No, you're never going to read that. No. <laughs> turns out that Eminem is... Actually, what you see is saying is Eminem's in the media all the time because he's like 10 years sober. But he went through that... Uh, Derek was in the news when he transitioned. Eminem was in the news now that he's transitioned from being... A, and Because there was a turning point where mm-hmm. it was like, oh my God. Like Post Malone, if he went to rehab and came out and everybody knew he was not drinking at all, not doing it. That'd be huge news too. Yeah. But Ed has never done it. They, we right. don't hear about the fact that he never oh, did it. That, oh, it's not okay. like breaking news. Ed still hasn't touched a beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. It would be like breaking news. Ed had a glass of wine with his wife yesterday. <laughs> like, you know, like, so it, that's kind of, you don't hear about those stories and right. there are a lot of those. Right. You don't hear about like breaking, breaking news. Billy talent spends 14 hours a day in the studio recording guitars, working as hard months. as they can. They, you don't hear yeah. about that. Right. You hear about somebody, you know, going and taking a piss on a street corner at, in the middle of the night because they were out partying. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do mm-hmm. with their music career. Yeah. But you hear about that. Yeah. So that's where it's kind of, it's a, a, an interesting thing. And I think, um, kind of to, to drive the point home is you can use music as an outlet and use that as your, your outlet to help with your mental health and your dealing with the issues that you have or think you have, or it doesn't matter whether you have them or not. If you feel it, there's an outlet for you Mm -hmm. and just main maintaining, staying to yourself not having to search for the big headlines, not having to make a fool of yourself, just doing it. If you don't want to do any sort of substance, you don't have to, you can still be the most successful person in the world. hundred percent. You'll actually probably have a better chance of doing that (laughs) and being sustained successful, not just instantly successful and drop off the map. Yeah. In your basement or going to the studio, do you find that people who may already have mental health problems per se find um, sanctuary in music? Totally. I think the environment, because here's the thing, the environment in a studio, when done right, let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Um, the environment in a studio, the people within the studio, it's a different vibe and it's a different person than the person you see on the billboard, in the on the red carpet. It's a anything. different person. It, it's a different person. And it is their safe space. It is their their kind of they can let loose. They can deal with the issues they have. They can let those words out. They can let those things out. Try different stuff. And like when writing words, they can start with the actual literal thing that they're dealing with and not think people are going to judge them, even though that's just kind of their process of finding how to morph it into a metaphor that they can then show to the world there. They can let it out. They can be very open about that. And the studio is a, is a really, and that's one of the things that as an engineer and as a producer and as somebody that works in the studio, you have to be very mindful of because you can't fanboy or fangirl out when you deal with artists, because that's not the environment for it. And sure, they can seem totally cool with that on the red carpet or whatever event. 
But in the studio, that is an instant, you're off, you're fired, you're off the session, they don't want you anywhere near them, because this is their safe haven to record, to play around, to just kind of wear their heart on their sleeve. And they can't do that in public. In a judgment-free zone. In a judgment-free zone. So as an engineer, you can't, or as a producer, as a co-writer, um, those kind of things. And you you just can't kind of hold it against them or use it against them or anything. And, and that's why certain people write really well together, like co-writing. That's why certain people work really well together. And that's why certain people don't, because certain people understand each other better. And the whether it's true or not, people feel less judged by certain people and they feel more judged by other people, Yeah, even in that environment, which is why you have different collaborative people or different, you know, you see bands that will work with a producer for five records in a row. Well, they feel good about that producer and they feel good about letting their, their feelings and their insecurities out and they can, you know, you just yell and scream at each other and it doesn't matter. Are you hinting at something that you want me to hire you again? No. Oh, okay. That's not what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then there's other things, and and I've heard the horror stories of bands talking about their previous producers, where they were trying to do stuff and the producer wouldn't let them, or they and they were like, "We just butt heads," right? And that's not a good environment for creating because you're trying to let stuff out. You're trying to the outlet to trial and error for all of those things that you feel exactly. And if you have a mental problem, a mental health issue that you're dealing with, if you have trauma that you're dealing with, whatever it is, that's the place that you can let it out. And somebody goes, that would be a great song. How about you say it this way? And they're like, Oh, that's great. That's the kind of people you want. Not going, uh, dude, you, you can't say that, man. What are you doing? Do you have a problem? That's not a good environment. That's not a good environment for a relationship. That- that's not a good environment for any friendships. Of course not. So it's definitely not a good environment for creating and in a studio and trying to actually let things out. 100%. If you're getting slapped on the wrist for trying something new, then you're never going to want to try stuff. Totally. Or let alone express yourself. Totally. Which is like the utmost important. Absolutely. And I've seen it many times uh, where, you know, interns or runners or something would come into the session kind of like, oh my God, it's it's whoever. What Tell people what a runner is, by the way. So in the studio, there's an intern, which is somebody that works for the studio, but doesn't really deal with the sessions, but like an intern and a runner, they, if I need food, for instance, or the artist wants food, they're the people that actually go get the food. The artist doesn't like Drake's not walking to McDonald's. (laughs) They have, we have people to do that. So big studios mostly have runners because, because these artists just want to kind of say what they want and it show up in a timely manner. And sometimes that can be a if you're lucky. pain, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what happens. And so, because once again, they want in big studios and stuff, the artist wants to concentrate on letting their thing, their, their, their emotions out and letting the creativity flow. They don't want to have to worry about, Oh, okay. I want to go. I want a Starbucks. Okay. I'm going to have to go put on my jacket and go down the street and you know, shield my face and try and order a Starbucks. They don't want to deal with, they just want to go, I want a Starbucks. Oh, here it is. There's one right here. Would you look at that? Like that's what they want to deal with that. And that's the best way to be creative because there's nothing, there's as little barrier as possible to being creative. Yeah. No one's stopping it. (laughs) Exactly. But, uh, anyway, so, so with these runners and, and interns, they, I've seen them before where they kind of 
kind of, oh my God, it's this artist. Alex has his hands up wiggling his fingers. Wiggling <laughs> his fingers. Um, very excited about the fact that it's like their favorite artist. And the artist instantly goes, I don't want that person here. Because they just, it's like, I don't want to try and have to cover myself up to somebody who's clearly a fan. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you don't act like a fan, but you are internally, but you don't act like it and you're just very professional and very with them, you then end up getting very close to their artists. You're because, speaking from experience, right? Yes. So <laughs> like, you know, Billy Talent, when they first came in, I was internally freaking out. You must have shat your britches. Oh, it was pretty, I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is literally my favorite band who I've went and have seen on stage are standing in front of me. Like what's happening to me right now? Like, is this real life? But I was like, Hey guys. And I left. And (laughs) then I talked to them like in the session, Hey, what's up? How's it going? What can I do for you? Like, how can I help? Whatever. Like, Oh, that's great. This. And it was like a month and a half into the session. And they were like, so like, have you ever heard our music before? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. Actually, like I'm, I, I love your music. Like it's a was a big influence to me growing up. Oh man, oh that's so cool. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And that was like the coolest thing ever because no I kidding. could be a fan then, but they trusted me. They knew I wasn't a fanny fan mm-hmm. that was gonna get all up in their space. A fanny fan. Fanny fan. <laughs> well, um, but they, they, we had that respect now because I've been around them for a month and a half as their buddies. So like. And you were professional. I was professional and that's how, that's how it worked. So, you know, and the same thing is when I first worked with Drake, he literally, I walked in like, you know, I, somebody wanted a coffee or whatever. So I was the assistant and, and, and I, you know, got the, got him a coffee and Drake comes in and he's like, Hey man, how's it going? I'm like, oh, good. Natural. Like I would to anybody else. Yeah. And he was like, Hey, I'm, you know, introduces himself, shook my hand. Like he was just another person. Yeah. And it's like. I know who you are internally. That's what I'm mm-hmm. thinking. But yet I've, I'm just like, Oh, nice to meet you, man. Uh, how's it going? I'm Alex. Respecting like, the space. Respecting. And he, it's just, he could feel comfortable. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't going to turn around and tweet to all my friends. Oh my God, guess what he just did in the studio. Yeah. Right. That that's their biggest concern. I mean, you'd lose his respect and your job. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I would never work <laughs> in the music industry again. No. Um, but that's why, it's sometimes hard to hear what artists are actually like in the studio sometimes. Cause it's a, it's a thing. Like I won't tell you a lot of stuff that happens good or bad because it's just, that's something that is just behind closed space, doors, yeah. whether that's them sitting there FaceTiming their wives or, you know, having a salad instead of a burger. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's not my place to tell you that, mm-hmm. you know, or anybody. Mm-hmm. So, you have that with a lot of good, uh, really good engineers will not talk at all. Like, which is so funny. Um, but cause you know who they've worked with and then, the, you know, I, I worked with an engineer for years and I found this very fascinating because it took, uh, one of the producers that I worked with, with this engineer also said the same things. They're like, I've worked with him for 10 years and I didn't know he made a Motley Crue record. And he lived with Motley Crue for six months to make a record. And I've worked with him for 10 years and I didn't know that. you never knew. And it's like, wow, you, you know, even in my time, he'd like once in a while drop a name or something by accident in an example to me. I was like, wait, hold on. You worked with Paul McCartney? (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I've 
been with you for six years and I didn't know this. Wow. <laughs> like level of professional, massive professional. Like, sure. You could go look at his discography and go, Oh, he worked on Motley Crue record, but you don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the same thing with, you know, I've always been the same way. Like people have to pry shit out of me to understand a lot of things that I've done mm-hmm. because it's like, I don't want to offer information a lot for that kind of stuff. Cause that's the level of respect that you get for working with the artist and that you give to the artist. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think that got a lot, a little off topic. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I mean, even people who are interested in getting into the industry or want to become a rapper or a guitar player or a singer, it's important to know these things too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, outside of mental health and ad- addiction, like if you have the best voice in the world and then you make one of those types of errors, like a running your mouth error, then your mental health might suffer in mm-hmm. the future because, you know, you made a mistake that you otherwise could avoid it. So I think you're helping a lot of people out by I, saying. And to, you know what, to, to tie it back to kind of wrap that up is in with any state of mental health with anybody, that's a respect you can give to anybody dealing with anything because even your best friend or a friend that you're listening to, letting them vent, the best thing you can do is to be there for them and not turn around and use it as blackmail or use it as leverage or tell or anybody, repeat it. Repeat it. Yeah. Just being somebody's friend when they need it. And especially when it comes to mental health and being that person that they can just confide in, confide in. Exactly. And that's, that helps them. That helps your relationship, but it helps them immensely mm-hmm. because they can trust you. And the more you show that, the more they will, they will use you to unload a little bit, not on you, like not making you feel bad, just they need a soundboard. Yeah. And that will help them. So you are now becoming a better friend to them. And that's such a powerful thing. It can really, really help people with any kind of a mental, anything, anything, (laughs) mental illness, anything. Totally. And I know that some of you guys listening right now are like, fuck, I totally told my friend yesterday about my sister who had a mental breakdown. That's okay. That's okay. You can move forward and just, um, move on from that because, um, I guarantee you I've had to learn this exact same, uh, type of skill because it is a skill being able to keep your mouth closed and respect other people's, uh, mental health and source like, you know, um, mental health and exhalation of emotion, I will say, (laughs) but, um, the skill that you get um, by listening to someone tell you something and confide in you, and then when someone else, you know, a week or a couple of days later asks you about that person, and you say, oh, you know, I'm not sure, or you say, oh, I think they're doing great, blah, 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 you know, just keeping that aspect of the conversation a little bit more shallow, as opposed to being like, holy fuck, you would not believe what they unloaded on me the other day. After you leave that interaction where you could have participated in that flow of information, um, you're going to feel amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going to feel super proud of yourself. You're going to be like, holy shit, like I am a good friend. And you will naturally pat yourself on the back because it's way easier to just blab on about something that you just learned than it is to withhold the information to protect someone. It's so much easier to talk about it. So when you do accomplish the silence, then you feel a lot better about it. Totally. And like, it is a skill. And it is something that you have to learn how to do and you have to realize how to, that you have to do it. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just and learning that skill. Yeah. Like this but, year. <laughs> but you feel 
so good about it when you're done and it's almost its own you you get you get a high you get a, a high bit. from it mm-hmm. for sure and also a sense of like uh you know you're not wasting your energy mm-hmm. you know like when someone when there's an opportunity to like gossip or like uh you know contribute or you know um in a situation where you can just be silent or just say a little bit less about someone you i thought i was gonna say because i heard someone knocking outside the window saving your energy that's what i was saying when you take the opportunity to you know not talk about or not contribute to the gossip or like you know add your two cents about uh whoever's mental health breakdown that you just learned about or even lack of mental health breakdown you just don't talk about it you save so much energy and you feel like uh less exhausted and you can put that energy into something else like uh music (laughs) exactly (laughs) or art or you know studying or whatever it is you're doing into your family by like not contributing um verbally that way Mm -hmm. or texting or facetime or whatever the fuck's going on nowadays you save a ton of energy and that in itself is so healthy Totally. And, and you know what? The, the interesting thing that you say there is a lot of creative people too use those things as outlet, their music as an outlet for that. Because Exactly. And I'm sure you've done it. I've done it. Oh, I write 100%. songs about things that I didn't even experience, but I was the sounding board for. So I'm not telling anybody about it, but I'm telling the whole world about it. But in not, a way, mm-hmm. but not actually, because mm-hmm. nobody knows it's them. Nobody knows about that. Mm-hmm. I can't tell anybody, but I can write a song that's a metaphor that can show what I've learned or a lesson or something. And everybody and wins. Everybody wins. Yep. Circling back to being an engineer, I heard, I don't know if this is true because I am not technically equipped um but i heard that there's a cycle like a quote-unquote cycle of depression chart specifically regarding engineers that's supposedly like kind of funny and true have you seen it and can you tell me about this and what the hell is going on (laughs) i think it's yeah i know i think i know exactly what you're talking about um it's to do with engineers producers anybody that makes music of really at all even songwriters the same okay thing. but as an engineer and a producer i can tell you <laughs> that basically you start out uh writing your song or working on your track and it's it's awesome it's so great you, like it's the best thing ever then you go to bed you wake up the next morning you listen to what you did till three in the morning the night before right and you're like oh my god this is terrible <laughs> this is the worst thing i've ever made how did i think this was any good so then you start trying to fix it. You get somewhere else and it's better. You're, you're even, cause now you've fixed it. Now yeah, it's now not you brand. Now you've fixed the problem. You are on cloud nine again. It is. Oh yes. This is the best thing ever. Then you listen to it again the next day or two, whatever. And you're like, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> and it gets worse because now you're like, oh my God, I didn't actually fix it. This is terrible. I'm going to quit my job. I'm selling all my gear. <laughs> I am done with this. I should probably just go get a job at Starbucks because this is horrible. And then you let it sit for a, a day. You come back and you're like, what this, you know what? This, no, this isn't, this isn't that bad. This isn't so bad. <laughs> so and it's then a chart, you like finally a- release it and it's like, oh, this is, 
and then you know then the chart can continue if it does well or doesn't do well compared so to what chart you thought will look like a little it's a point graph pretty much where it's like okay it's a zigzag it's a zigzag <laughs> of like wow this is the best thing ever and then like three days later you're back down to the bottom like what the fuck was that i can't even believe i put that together who is this i'm gonna quit my job i should not be working in the music industry take a nap wake up next day top of the chart again wow it's not actually that bad. It's not totally. actually that bad. And it just looks like a zigzag. Yeah, think of a stock market chart. It just <laughs> all that's over exa- the that's exactly all over the place. Like. I mean, maybe not lately, but No, but <laughs> um, do you see another question to you uh in regards to being in the studio? Do you see a lot of performance anxiety when you're working with artists um in the studio as an engineer? Um uh yes, totally. I think that is where you get more of the performance anxiety because of that, once again, that open space and they can, they can portray it better. They are allowed to, they allow themselves to kind of, you know, be anxious about it or like second guess themselves out loud, uh, versus in on a stage, they can't do that. No, you fake it till you make it. Even if you're nervous, you still have to. Totally. And like you hear about even massive, you know, bands or, or speakers or whatever. They're like, I, I like dry heave before I go on stage. Oh my God. Like totally. But in the studio, it's not as much pressure in the way of there's 10,000 people looking at me. There's more pressure because they're like, well, there's going to be 2 million people streaming this. So I have to make it good. But there's also, you know, the, you know, oh, it can be fixed in editing. It can be fixed. So I can, you know, kind of, so you have a bit of a, a safety net to, to think about a lot of artists that think they're that like second guess. <laughs> this is the funniest thing. A lot of guys are like, oh my God. And then it's like the best thing ever. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I don't really need to edit that at all. Those are the, those are the people that second guess the most, but the people that are absolutely terrible are the ones that are like, ah, oh, just leave it. It's perfect. And you're like, this is the worst thing <laughs> I've ever recorded. So <laughs> actually, even, so even people who are like, have been in the game for like a decade plus, you'll f- see them have performance anxiety in the studio when they're recording. Yeah, they can. Yeah. Because they're, they're pressure in their own mind to perform and to make that the best thing they've ever done. Less it's, it's less, about, you know, topping their last stuff. It's just, they want this to be good because it's their emotion, their outlet. And th- this is the final recording of it that needs to be the way it's delivered. And this is the way it's going to be. And that's why sometimes you can have records that take forever to make because they forever? second guess. Uh, well, I've made, let's put it this way. I've made a record in like a day before, and I've also made a song or five songs that took three years hmm. or a record that takes a year and a half or like it's all over the, okay. all over the map. But, um, who's putting a record together in a day? Jazz. Jazz records? Jazz musicians. Oh. They don't have a budget to do much more. <laughs> Rough. Yeah. Rough. Um, uh, but they're also just, they play live, they do it together, they're practiced, they're rehearsed, they know what they're doing, they're amazing players. They don't really suffer from as much performance anxiety, I would say, um, because they just, they're so pro. They maybe make a mistake once, um, but it's just like, they can just, as long as it takes them to play the record, the record's recorded. Mm. Like, it just, it can okay. be like that. Whereas modern music, 
there's a lot more editing or a lot more behind the scenes stuff or layering or trying say, layers, layers, layers and writing in the studio, like figuring out parts, whatever, like jazz records aren't like that's it's, it is the way it is in a lot of them and not a lot of them, but more often than not, um, that I've seen. And so, but a lot of these, uh, these artists, yeah, they will, they will have been doing this for a long time and they will still get that kind of performance anxiety or this like interesting which is almost in a way their adrenaline rush because then they nail it or they do a thing they're happy with and they're like oh yes, yes. they get that fist they pump. get yeah and and that being said there are plenty of them that that just nail it and don't really get performance anxiety and they've learned to deal with it or they've you know they just they cope with it uh so they don't feel that way and they just do it and they're like, yeah, it's going to be what it's going to be. Like there's no point stressing over it because oh, it is I what it is. That. So, you know, that's, those are the people oddly, once again, that put in a lot of work mm. that are not nearly as stressed out about it. Yeah. Um, so cause they know they did their best. They tried their hardest. They tried their like, best. Yeah, they was- did. The, they know it's going to be good. Like it's not going to be crap because mm-hmm. they've put a lot of work in mm-hmm. to make it so that it will not be crap. Mm-hmm. So they know that their baseline of even their worst is still damn good mm-hmm. because they've put the work in. Right. And they also know that if I'm really, really, really unhappy with it, I can redo it. Totally. Um, for the most part, sometimes you can't cause there's a big deadline, but, um, but yeah, it's, but then if, if you give it, it's funny because if you give an artist too much time, they will keep changing things, but it's it might not worst. be for the best. Yeah. If you don't give them timelines, it'll go on forever. If you do, it'll actually pan out, pan be out, good. be fine. Yeah. Everybody's going to be happy. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. And I think because music is an outlet, um, there's a really, because music is an outlet for people, it is a piece of time in their life. So this year is a piece of time in their life. They're going through a breakup. They're going through their mom and her new boyfriend not getting along. They're going through their own problems of, I don't know, not knowing where to find a new apartment or mm-hmm. not being able to write a song or no, you know, who knows their new job is not panning out, whatever it is. Um, so they're going through that right at this moment. They feel a certain way. They make a song based on the way they feel. Well, in six months, well, mom's boyfriend's fine now and they've figured out what to do. So they don't feel the same way. So now they're looking at the song going, Oh, maybe it is too dark. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's too dark. Maybe I should do this. Maybe it should change that. But it's, it's a piece of time that they were in and it was amazing at that time. And if you let it go for too long, you can just keep changing it and it's never going to be done. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you have to put a timeline on it. Yeah, Otherwise it you're just continuing. It's going to keep changing and it keep changing. I worked with a band. I've worked with plenty of bands. It just goes on for so long. And like, I would send them mixes and six Let, months. A mix, uh, by the mix way, is, you explain it. I was gonna say the mix is like the second last step kind of, at the very end of a song or an album where you're balancing the levels of the vocals and the instruments and all the layers of the tracks. And then before you would send it to mastering. So shouldn't take a long time anyways. Yeah. So once you've put all the parts together, then you put a, put it together and it's a mix and you get the mix. 
And I've had people, and, and basically you take that, that track and you listen to it as the artist, you listen to it a few times and you go, yeah, I think this is good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm happy with that. Or, oh, I don't really like the way this sounds, or maybe we should do this. And it's small changes at that point. Cause you've already got all the parts. You've got the vocal performances. You've got that stuff, but like, you're not saying, actually, I would like a tuba instead of a bass. That part, that doesn't that's not, go down in mixing. No, you've already made those choices. However, this is where. I've had it before where I give somebody that and then they give me mix notes, which are legit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my vocal is not loud enough. I can't hear this part. Totally legit. They give it to me six months later and the note is, I got this new distortion pedal. I would really like if that guitar wasn't clean anymore. It's distorted. And I'm like, but we made a choice to make it a clean guitar, not a distorted guitar. It's kind of like... I think a tuba would be really cool because my girlfriend started learning to play tuba now and it'd be really neat if she could play it live with us. It's like, guys, it's like if you go to Subway and you order a tuna melt and then you take it home and then you decide that you don't want any tuna in it anymore and you actually just want only bacon. And you go back. And you go back and you're like, oh, you know, actually, by the way, and, uh, you know, it's just a pain in the ass and it just doesn't make sense in the order of doing things it it and at the time that you ordered that tuna melt you wanted tuna yeah you so wanted now, tuna. They gave guess you tuna. what deal with it and when you go back to subway don't order a tuna melt this time because so you want bacon time, yeah next time you will go back and you will order a bacon and cheese melt or i don't even know what subway has but you'll go back know. you'll get bacon Something from else. subway and then you will take your bacon home on your sandwich and then that will be you know your song your bacon song yeah and and that's what in, in to a degree it's like Make the record or make the song in that point of time and the way you feel at that time. And if you want something that different, then write a new song. Yeah, it's a new song. About the new feelings you have. It's a new sandwich. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, got to give creatives a freaking deadline. We need timelines, guys. To close things up, I was wondering if there's any advice that you have for upcoming artists or people who are looking to start recording, any advice that you have for them or for engineers as well, like anybody. I would say the the biggest piece of advice that I have is to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and that it is actually an outlet and it is something that you enjoy for yourself and that you are getting a kind of natural high for yourself off of it. Because if you're not, then it's only going to lead down a bad road. And the people that treat it just because it's the cool thing to do, but they don't actually care, those are the people that end up in bad places. And those are the, those are the ones that you read about in the headlines. Um, and I think with music especially, like it is a tough thing to get into to make it anywhere. It's a, it's a difficult thing. Um, and I mean, you hear about the success stories, but there's a lot that don't make it there for engineers and for musicians. Like this is anybody in this field. So if you thoroughly enjoy doing it yourself and you're doing it for those reasons that you get that satisfaction from the things that you're doing and giving yourself an outlet, then you're going to thoroughly enjoy that so much more. So I think being able to stay true to that will get you much further because you'll be staying true to that, not 
as people say, selling out for the wrong right, reasons. Right. You are going to be doing it for yourself. And I thoroughly believe that that shows. And the people that are just, that love down to their core what they're doing and the message they're spreading and the the things that they're getting off their chest, that they're, they're outlet, those are the people that people connect with because they can feel the genuine love for their craft so much more. So... And that goes for engineers, writers, totally people who the, play guitar. Yep. You can see that with, with a lot of engineers, a lot of artists that I've talked to when they talk to about the engineers they've worked with or the producers they've worked with and the different engineers that I've seen, the ones that are the most successful and the ones that are still doing it after 40, 50 years are the ones that still are like super excited by finding that great kick drum sound for themselves or something super nerdy. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that are, because the artists know that they're literally doing it for the best, the best interest of the song or whatever it is, not because of some stupid reason. It's a sick job, dude. Yeah, exactly. They, they actually genuinely love what they're doing and that shows and people want to be around that. That's an, that is an infectious feeling. So I think that's the biggest thing for anybody getting into it. Don't get into it because it's cool. Don't be, don't get into it because you see, you know, the five artists that make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars get into it because you thoroughly enjoy it and do it, do what you thoroughly love to do within the business, whether that's engineering, whether that's writing hip hop, whether that's writing rock, whether it's writing jazz, I don't, who knows doing it for the genuinely the right reasons will get you so much further just because you are doing it for the love of it. So that's, and it'll, honestly, it'll save your mental health too. Okay. So where can people find you, Alex? Uh, you can check out, you can check me out at Anik creates, A N A K creates dot C A or anywhere on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Anything like that. C R E A T E S is how you spell creates for those of you who might not know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And if anybody wants to hire you or wants to reach out and get you to mix their stuff or edit their vocals or put a track together for them, um, where can they hire you? Uh, Also on anacreates.ca, you can find my producer page there and my emails there and a form to contact me through there. I'd, all my production, mixing, stuff like that's all there as well. So awesome. you can just email me and uh, we can discuss your project. <laughs> and if you want your stuff to be top of the line, number one, sparkly, <laughs> shiny, in time, in tune, in tune, in tune, this is where you need to be. You can't. I mean, I've never worked with anybody else, but I'm just going to say you just like can't get anybody better than this. So, <laughs> Well, thank you. I <laughs> take appreciate my, it. <laughs> take my word for it, guys. <laughs> I don't know anybody else, but Alex is literally the best. But also you've got the credit to back it up, so I don't give a fuck. Okay, do you want to be a polite Canadian and say bye to all of our listeners today? Yes. Uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. It was a pleasure to be here. I hope everybody learned something today, and I appreciate Uh, being asked to be on the podcast. So thank you so much. You can come back anytime. I'll I'll think about it. Rude. Okay. (laughs) And on that note, so everybody knows how rude you are. No, false, (laughs) false, false.
Thank you guys so much again for listening today. Uh, You are all so amazing. If you guys are ready to be part of the movement and you want to support mental health awareness, you guys can visit my website at www.ellisondaz.com, E-L-L-O-C-I-N-D-A-Z. And you guys can get some merch. Uh, It's time to rebrand Feeling Blue. And uh, we want to let everybody know that feeling this way is beautiful. Thank you guys once again. And I will talk to you the next time I put up a podcast. Peace out, guys. Here's my outro. I hope that you liked this podcast. Here's my outro. I hope that you laughed. Oh, we're still going. Da, 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 outro. Here's my outro. Uh, something that rhymes. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is Google that song about a stalker. Live. On air. Yeah, live on air typing. After edited. <laughs> song about stalking i think it's phil collins a girl every breath you that's take, the one that's every it. breath oh, by, the, by police. the police that's the one how fucking hilarious that they're called the police as well <laughs>